Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to the Stuff About Money podcast. I am Eric Garcia, certified financial planner, along with my co-host, Xavier Angel. Xavier, what's happening, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing this morning, Eric? Man, I'm good. You, are you sure you're doing good? You, you paused. You put, there was a pregnant pause when I said, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm doing yeah. great. Look, the, the weather, isn't, uh, weather isn't looking too good for us, but you know what? It, this weekend is supposed to be beautiful, so I'm, uh, I'm right, doing good. good. No complaints I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Well, this is, this is actually a special episode. We're doing this in conjunction with, in collaboration with uh, another podcast, Financial Matters with Richard Owing. Rich is a, a good friend of ours. Um, he's got a um, investment practice up in New Jersey, and we do a lot of work with Rich. Some of our listeners may have heard um, us talk about Rich. We build investment portfolios along with Rich. Um, but the, the reason we're doing this show is we want to talk about the importance of collaboration between CPAs and financial advisors. Right. We want, we're going to be touching base on increasingly more important, um, the ever-changing tax climate that we have right in here. Uh, the landscape for taxes is changing on a regular basis. And there's also a slew of COVID-19 relief for businesses and individuals out there that we're going to be touching on. Yeah. So taxes are, are certainly complicated. And the reason also on the call, we have, we have a CPA with us that Rich is going to introduce here in a second. But the reason we're doing this in conjunction with Rich is because Rich used to own a tax practice. Rich, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your current practice. And then if you can, introduce Doug for us. Sure. So I got in the business in 1999. Um, I worked for a mid-sized accounting firm in New Jersey. There was three locations at one time. And my job there was to help grow the, the financial planning and the investment side of the practice. The problem is when you work for an accounting firm during tax season, leaving on a Thursday at 5.30 when everyone's working till one or two in the morning is kind of um, rude. So I had to learn how to do tax returns. So I was thrown in the fire, took courses on tax preparation. And before I knew it, I was pretty good at it. A couple of years later, I decided to, um, I was offered a partnership at that firm, I saw where they were going with some SEC audit work and I just saw a conflict. And my partner and I, we bought our clients back. We started our own firm. Um, unfortunately, in 2009, my partner passed away. And a couple of years later, I actually sold my tax practice to Doug Ziegler, um, who's our guest today, our CPA. He works in our office. But one of the things I learned through that process is understanding taxes and financial planning investments go hand in hand. Hmm. They affect each other. Yeah. So my practice is in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm the owner of New Century Financial Group. Um, I started working at New Century Financial Group actually in 2002 when I spun off the tax practice. 
to my own firm. Um, and we've been growing mostly financial planning and investments since we started with the focus on the tax planning um, going hand in hand. And Doug and I work very, very close together with the tax projections and the investments and how it falls into the 1040 or the business return. So at this time, um, why don't I introduce Doug Ziegler? Yeah. Um, Doug, do you want to actually talk about yourself and a little bit about how you got into the business and where you are today and what you're looking for in clients-wise? Uh, yeah, thank you, Rich. I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and thanks for the invite. Um, again, my name is Doug Ziegler, and I've been in the public accounting field for over 30 years. This is what I've done with uh, small firms and regional firms and then on my own. And uh, the ideal client, I think, is someone who cares about their financial well-being, their tax return, and has some input on what they want to try to accomplish in both arenas. Doug, Rich, right about now in our show, we ask all of our guests, uh, what's one thing about money that you wish you would have known about 20 years ago? So I'm going to hand it over to you, Rich, first. Uh, tell us, what is something that you wish you would have known 20 years ago? Well, the one thing, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a serial hobbyist. Yes. <laughs> so I like to go from one hobby to another <laughs> hobby. And as you can imagine, hobbies can be expensive. This wasn't something I learned as an adult. This was like something I had my whole life as a kid. And I used to make a lot of money as a kid. I was an entrepreneur. I had a gutter cleaning business. I had a window cleaning business, snow shoveling. I worked at restaurants. So I made a lot of money and I had really expensive hobbies back then. Back then with RC cars, bicycles, I mean, you name it. I would go on vacations with my friends and so forth. And I look back and I go, wow, all that money I made, if I didn't spend it, how much money would I have had now accumulating? You know, you know, I know in your previous podcast, you talked about compound interest and how money can grow. That would have been a fortune. I might not have been working right now. Rich, I've known you for seven. Um, so, I've known you for seven years, and probably that seven years worth of hobby spending, you could be retired by now. Just in that seven years, forget absolutely. forget as a kid. So thank, so thank God for my wife. Every time I get a new hobby, yesterday I decided to buy a new pasta maker, and she always responds like, "I'm happy you bought this, but you're gonna have to buy a new house because we're gonna outgrow it." And that kind of scales me back the fear of having to sell my house and buy another one. My wife is a very good um, controller of my hobbies. So, so we're going to get you. We're going to get you and your wife on a show about um, about spending money without the other knowing. Like, what's the limit that you can spend before you can spend without permission from the other? That that might help you. That might be the lesson here: is don't spend money unless my wife says it's okay. Well, we used to have a deal that if it was less than three hundred, we didn't need permission. Yeah. So I'm also going to send you um, a link for one of our previous ones with our guest uh, Felix Garcia. Felix yeah. talked about for every five dollars he made, mm -hmm. save th save three and spend two. That's it. Yep. All right, Doug. What's yep. what's something about money? What's something about money you know you know today that you wish you would have known maybe twenty or or thirty years ago? Well, I'm going to expand on one of the points that Richard made, and that is, when I was in college, I learned about compounding interest and and that that math class that we took, I was actually very good at, but the one thing I didn't do or realize at the time because you're young is that the compounding interest doesn't help you unless you actually save the money 
<laughs> so you have to save the money and invest the money in order for the compound interest to really give you a benefit. And here we are 30 years later, 30 years plus, and the time goes by so quick that the benefit of the compounding doesn't help unless one, you put the money away and two, you allow it to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, that's some that's some serious wisdom there. I, I listened to a, a friend of mine a podcast and he said that um, he's he was talking about someone else that you have to be so good at the basics. People think you're cutting edge. And I love what you two just shared about. I mean, y'all are successful. I mean, all of us on this call are successful. Y'all have successful financial planning businesses, a successful CPA firm. And the thing that you wish you would have known about money is so basic and so simple. Spend less than you make and save. So basic. So Xavier, you talked about the story with Felix growing up um, in the business. My father used to always say, you have to pay yourself just like a bill. So when he would meet with clients, he was a CPA and a financial advisor. He would always go to new clients and say, look, if I take $5 out of your wallet, would you miss it? Clients say, no, you would go up to 10, 20, 30. And then he would set up a DCA dollar cost average mm -hmm. where you're automatically purchasing an investment every month. This way it's, you might be buying it on a high, a low, but it's an average, but it's a forced discipline saving. And then what the client didn't know is in about six months, he's going to call them and say, did you notice anything? Did you have to change your lifestyle? No. Good. Let's raise it. Yeah. I like and that. And before they know it, that's good. Yep, huh? He said, pay yourself like a bill. You know, your electric bills due on this day. If you know that the investment company is going to take money from your checking account on this day, it's just like a bill, and you know you better have the money in the account. So we can so end the show right now. New for today, right? Yeah, we can I, end the I've show right now. Something. If you finally learned something, go go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we can end the show right now, and there's probably just. I mean, I think our listeners will take away a lot from what's been said already. But unfortunately, it is not that simple. As Xavier let in, let in like taxes are complicated. The tax code is increasingly more complicated. Um, programs are getting more and more complicated. Um, here in Louisiana, we just in, tw in New Orleans, 2020 tax returns were just due on February 15th. 20 2020, I'm sorry, tax returns were just finally due because of all the extensions and it just taxes get complicated. So yeah, I think it's really important that there is collaboration between planners and CPAs for several reasons. Rich, just as you said, um, you're paying your CPA typically to look backwards. You're paying your tip. You're, you're you're paying your CPA to prepare taxes to give an accounting for something that happened in the past. Some CPAs will strategize, and I think most CPAs, given the opportunity, would love to strategize more. But the reality is, they're so they're they're constantly having to look back, and that's where the planner comes in. There's three ways that I think planners and CPAs uh, can collaborate. Number one is just in the minimization of capital gains taxes. Rich, you talked a little bit about that already. Number two, identify missed opportunities on tax returns. And then number three, increase tax efficiency in your estate plan. So Doug and Rich, what are your thoughts on the impact or the importance of planners and CPAs collaborating? Doug, why don't you go first? I, I think the, the most important um, aspect of that question is communication. Um, Eric, you had mentioned earlier that CPAs um, generally prepare tax returns in a in a past looking past format, in that they take the information that has happened over the past year and they put it on a tax return, and that's generally what they're paid to do. Um, when you collaborate with a planner, hopefully you've had a conversation with that person during the year, and 
what I like to try and do is not destroy the plan that the planner has put forth with the client by telling the planner you have to create capital gains because I have capital losses that I want to use or I don't want any more qualified dividends because it's it's creating more income tax in certain areas that I don't want rather than than giving the planner some options on how to streamline the portfolio and accomplish two things at the same time which could be a lower tax rate and maybe a higher uh, return on your investment in the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I had an image of driving a car, right? An accountant or CPA is going to be primarily looking in the rearview mirror and the planner is typically looking forward. And it really helps if the person going forward and the person looking behind are, are collaborating um, and talking to each other. Rich, what about you? What, where, where do you see maybe some, some importance? You know, I'm just thinking about the last two weeks in my office, you know, I had a financial planning client just retired. Um, he's now going to be using Doug for his tax return. His accountant just retired. And I brought Doug in and, you know, I'm doing the planning on this side. I can't know every single tax code. You know, it's impossible. So I'm not going to act like a CPA and put myself out there. I can give recommendations, but there's times where I need to bring an expert in. So being able to pull the expert in pays off. This particular client has 529 plans and he was paying 100% of the college through the 529 plan and was losing out on some credits. Doug, do you want to clarify exactly what you recommended? Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I remember the the, uh, the conversation we had with the client. And uh, if I remember correctly, he had uh, at least one or both of his children in college at the time. And in order to take the credits, you have to have dollars that are paid out of pocket rather than from a 529 deferral plan. And the magic number is $4,000. If you've paid that out of pocket, then you qualify for the credits. So you have no incentive to pay 100% out of the 529 as long as you pay at least four grand for those expenses. Expenses, you get the credit. And how much was the credit the client was going to get? $2,500. Per child. Per child. So that's 5000 That's not a deduction. That's a credit. Yeah. That means dollar for dollar off your tax liability. Mm -hmm. So that's big right there alone. The client saving 5000 for the next year. Couldn't go backwards. His other accountant didn't recommend that. But going forward, you know, the client just made $5,000 in savings with credits he never knew about because he had money saved in the 529. He did what he was supposed to do and save for college. Never thought of, hmm, maybe just pay few thousand out of pocket and I get this five thousand back. And that's and that's um, huge. Just the other humongous. So humongous. Rich. And honestly with all these credits and stuff, as advisors, we know about them. But you know, we may not think of that when we're doing the retirement projections. So I, I've got to imagine that this collaboration um, between a, the planner and the CPA, this is an ongoing thing. You guys aren't just sitting there and, and talking once or twice a year. Um, you're constantly keeping in touch and updating the, the, the client's plan. Is that is that accurate? I can tell you right now on a regular basis, um, I'm always updating Doug with our clients on, hey, this client's turning 72. They're going to be taking an RMD out. You better adjust the estimates. Um, they're selling um, some, I have to take some capital gains, just letting you know. Let's do, I'll run my projections. I'll send it to him. He'll compare them. Um, just the other day, um, I recommended a client paying off their mortgage and 
I know this year they had a lot of medical expenses, but next year they're not. So talking to Doug about the standard deduction compared to the itemized deduction, because we're going to lose the mortgage interest. And we were able to realize there was no harm by paying off the mortgage. So just that collaboration with our professional recommendations and then pass it through the person who has to prepare the return and knows the tax code inside and out. Wow. That, that is powerful. So you started talking about some strategies. So let, let's go ahead and move into a couple different strategies that are out there that you do collaboration on. So this first question, Rich, um, I'm going to throw it over to you. So tell us about some of the ways that, that as a planner, um, you're collaborating on taxation of investments. So if you can start there for us, talk about that. Man, I could talk all day about that, but I know we don't have enough time. We're not going to let you. So I get, so let's go with something different. Let's go with something that maybe someone didn't hear first about the 0% um, capital gains rate or qualified dividends rate. So a lot of planning strategies I have is if someone's retiring and there's going to be a year where we can delay Social Security or IRA distributions, I look at the, non, the taxable account, the non-qualified accounts. So those are monies you put after tax contributions. And I look at the gains because if I have to sell assets to get the income, I, the cheapest place might be from appreciated assets, which everyone's always thinking long-term gains, 15% is going to cost me money. Well, that might not be the case when you have a year of very little income. We might want to try to maximize sell even more than we need. We might want to reset the basis on appreciated assets, knowing that when we are taking our IRA distributions, our social security and so forth, that we need to supplement it with the non-qualified assets. In the future, it might even come out less because we reset the basis by selling it at a 0% tax liability and then reinvesting it. All right, let, Rich, me, pause you, you, let me pause you real quick here, Rich, because there was, there was, there's a lot of stuff here. One of the things that we like to do on stuff about money they didn't teach you in school is break things down in simple, as pedestrian language as possible. And there's a couple, I think a couple terms there you use that we kind of throw around in the financial industry that might be that might not be uh, common words. So one of the words was appreciated assets. So that's like anything like you're talking about specifically a stock, a mutual fund that has grown in value, right? That's correct. Okay. You bought Microsoft for five dollars and it's worth two hundred today. Okay. And then the second the second term you used that I think is is not a common one is basis. Explain that real basis quick. Is, yep, basis is what you bought it for. And then it gets a little bit more complicated. If you bought a stock for $100, that's your basis. If it pays $5 dividend and that dividend's reinvested, it could be a mutual fund mm -hmm. too. If you reinvest the dividend, you pay tax on that year on that dividend, and then it increases your basis. Okay. So now your basis would be, let's say $10 plus the $5 dividend is $15. Okay. And you sell for 20 is a $5 gain. Okay. So yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask is the tax, the ta the gain is the difference between the basis, what you bought it for or paid for it, and then what you sold it for. And you're paying taxes of some, some variation on that difference, on that growth. Correct. And Eric, okay. I'm going to cut, cut in here real forget. quick. Um, there was a, uh, you just mentioned gain and both of you guys talked about gain a little bit. So I want to throw this one over to Doug real quick. If he can explain the difference, um, Talk about short-term and long-term gains. What What's the difference in that? Because that's a question that's been coming up often. Uh, currently, the IRS definition of that is 12 months. 
If it's more than 12 months, it's long-term. If it's less than 12 months, it's considered short-term. Those are the simplest explanations of that. And each term carries a different tax rate burden. So 12 months, meaning your holding period, like how long you you own something before you sell it, correct? Correct. Holding period. So usually the short-term gains. So you bought a stock today, you held it for less than 12 months. It would be ordinary income. So whatever your marginal tax rate would be and long-term gains for the average person, there, there's excess if you make over so much, but the average person, it would be 15%. So, so if you held an investment for one year, one day, it's 15%. So this is kind of the beginning of your, your, your answer. You're talking about zero capital gains. You're talking about in non-retirement accounts. We call them non-qualified accounts is that there's a way if your income is really, really low one year and you're saying that happens often in maybe the first year of retirement, there's an opportunity maybe to go sell these investments in your non-retirement accounts that have grown maybe tremendously over the years that you haven't wanted to sell because you didn't want to have to pay the tax on it. So now there might be an opportunity to say, hey, look, we might be, we might be below the income threshold and pay 0% taxes on this gain. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yep. If it's a 12% tax bracket or lower, you can capture, because again, qualified dividends and long-term gains is at 15%. So below the 15%, if you're in a 12% bracket, there's a, you may not be able to do it all, but you may be able to take 50, 100, 200, you know, working with Doug, we figure those numbers out. You know, we we do it all the time, you know, even even an IRA distribution, I'll say, hey, Doug, I got to fill out this IRA distribution. The client wants tax withholding. Um, I'm coming up with this number. What do you think? And he'll be like, you know what, Rich, you're not aware that he's not withholding money from his pension. Why don't you bring this to a 20% withholding to help a little bit? And the state in Pennsylvania, there's no tax on retirement distributions. Yeah. So we talk all the time, even for basic stuff, like filling out forms for distribution. Yeah, I I think that's huge. And I think that, um, you know, often, I think if you listen to our disclosure at the end of the show, your disclosure at the end of your show, one of the things that we say is we are not CPAs. We are not tax. We are not qualified to give tax advice. So to be able to lean on an expert or phone a friend, if you will, phone a friend who's an expert who knows the client's case, knows the client's situation to ask that that question um, is is invaluable. It's almost like, um, you know, Eric, the, go ahead. The, the funny thing is when I used to have a tax practice and I was doing tax returns where I didn't do the investments and then the client got a surprise at the end of the year for tax liability. Here's the best part about being a financial advisor. When a client owes money and it, it's the advisor's fault for not communicating, the, the tax preparer always gets blamed. <laughs> they always get the blame. It's never us. Like the accountant can say, oh, your investment advisor made money. Okay, we made money. So we look great yeah. and you owe this money. But the funny part is, do you know how many times I've seen clients' returns where they took gains in the beginning of the year, they owe money, and then they lost those gains at the end of the year? Could you imagine starting out with 100000 paying, it grows to 120 you sell the 20 you owe three grand, and then that 120 goes to 90 That hurts. Yeah, that, I've always yes, said that. That, sting, that stings. <laughs> I tell my CPA, oh, yeah. I tell my CPA all the time. I'm like, man, your job is impossible. I don't know how. I don't know how you 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 function because it is a. It's like the goalie for a soccer team, right? It doesn't matter if your defense broke down. Everyone looks at you and said, you should have stopped that, Doug. Doug, you need to reduce my taxes. It's on you, Doug. Blaming fingers on the poor CPAs. 
Doug, what, what's and, up? You know, what's I, an air- I think. Go ahead, Xavier. I was going to say, I, I think this leads in right to um, uh, the next question for Doug. You know, w- w- what are some th- some areas um, that cause unnecessary expenses and costs to clients that could have been avoided um, if they had their CPA and their advisor uh, collaborating? I, I think the biggest one is is not funding your 401k or your SEP plan or whatever retirement account that you have. Um, because that causes multiple problems. One, you'll pay more in taxes because you're not deferring that income until your retirement. Two, the lost opportunity to earn money that you've put away for your retirement. And that amount is immeasurable. I can tell you what the tax is going to be because you didn't put money in it into a, into a plan. But the fact that you didn't, and you had 10, 20, 30 years ahead of you for retirement, that amount is is immeasurable. That's that's the biggest area that that I've noticed. And Doug, saying that I, I know you're aware of it because I think every other month you're referring me a client who needs a retirement plan set up for self-employed people. You know, they start out their business, they're not making a lot of money, and then before they know it, they're making money, and you're calling me to come into your office to meet with the client to set up solo 401ks, SEP IRAs, whatever they need to get that tax deduction. Doug, I'm actually surprised that that was your response. Um, I, I was expecting something more complicated or something something deeper or more hidden in the tax code in terms of the things that cause unnecessary costs. But it kind of goes back to maybe your original answer about something about money you now know. It's it's it goes back to something as simple as just save. That so many people just aren't saving, taking advantage of that tax deferral that you that you mentioned. I'm curious to know how when you're sitting with a client and let's say let's say it's a client with a 401k and they have a traditional 401k contribution versus a Roth 401k contribution. Is there anything like in your thinking process that that might um, change whether you think they should do a traditional contribution versus a Roth contribution? Uh, I think the short answer is yes, but. But back to your original premise, um, I try to keep it simple. Uh, it's never a bad decision to save money, never, uh, no matter where you decide to put it. And I think the decision between Roth and and a traditional IRA or even a non-deductible IRA is a complicated one. I actually had this conversation with a client of uh, mine and Richard's yesterday and you know we weigh the costs we weigh the cost of not having a deduction uh because when you put it into a roth it's after tax and there is no deduction up front for it we weigh the cost of the individual's age what type of return do you think you're going to get on that roth investment uh we always weigh the cost of cash flow um in certain circumstances you can put more money away if you choose a roth provision because the criteria uh, for your income limitations are higher than in a traditional format. So in some cases, the Roth may be your only, your only avenue to a save additional dollars. So it's always a personal one. It's always a, a complicated one and one that, that I actually enjoy having the conversation with because I'm always about planning um, for the future when I do a tax turn, not just putting the numbers in for the past. I'm just going to add one thing. 
that's where collaboration comes in because I had the financial plan already set. Doug might be looking at the maximum tax deduction, but I can look at the future distribution and tax rates in the future. So yes, Doug can do that. You know, he could probably knock that out in Excel, but why? I already have it. I already have the plan, making sure they can retirement in time. So when he's coming up with these conversations, a lot of time he already has the information in front of him. I'm going to print off a cash flow report or um, projected taxes for the future with RMDs and everything. So again, the collaboration between the two of us is very important to work with our clients efficiently. Yeah, you know, Doug, you said can, you said can one a, of you guys. You, you we talked about um, what happens when we make those contributions, whether it's to the uh, the Roth uh, portion of the four hundred one k or the traditional. Tell us a little bit about what happens when you begin taking distributions, uh, depending on which route you choose. Well, from a tax perspective, I love having multiple buckets, a Roth bucket, a traditional bucket, a personal savings bucket, um, all types of different investment vehicles. Because since the taxes a lot of times are different on each bucket, depending on what the client's needs are and what the client's other income may be, that may help us steer um, the decision as to which bucket to pull from and what the lowest impact of taxes may be. And uh, also when you collaborate with your planner, it, it allows them to take money from these different buckets without destroying the overall plan that they're trying to accomplish. Man, that's so, I love Doug, that example as you're saying the that, buckets. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, so often as investment advisors, we talk about diversification. You need stocks, international stocks, big stocks, small stocks, domestic stocks, bonds, right? But we forget so often that we need diversification across different types of accounts, the way taxes are applied. I'm going to tell you, when, when I sit down with a client and all their money is in a 401k and they're having to take out forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for a required minimum distribution and they have social security and a pension, then all of a sudden they're like, my income's $120,000. I'm not even working anymore. And they're just so limited in what they can do from a planning standpoint. It, make, it makes it challenging. So I love that idea of, of forward thinking of not just today, but we don't know what the tax code is going to be tomorrow. So let's, let's give ourselves some flexibility for tomorrow. I like that. Yeah, I think we all can agree that the tax rates probably are going to go up over time since we're at historically low tax rates. So if someone's in a high income job right now, yeah, you probably want to get the deductions. But again, this is where the planning comes in. If you're making 100000 for the household, maybe you want to do a combination of the Roth and traditional. We try to um, maximize a bracket. Yeah. Um, you, you want me to talk? It's probably a good thing to talk about just real quick. Yeah, there. go ahead. Go ahead. Xavier, yeah, uh, go do you want to talk about maxing out brackets between IRA distributions or even funding a 401k, maybe doing part traditional and part Roth? Yeah, I've been a, a huge fan of that for a number of years. Um, it's a, there's two different traditional scenarios. And one is the, the um, retired individual who doesn't have a lot of income, but they have a lot of their money in it traditional IRA. If there's a certain amount of money between the zero bracket and the beginning of the next bracket or uh, tier one of the bracket, the 12% to the next tier, you have an opportunity to take money out of that account at 0% taxes or a very low tax bracket. You don't have to spend the money. 
You can just take it out of the IRA and put it in your savings account. And you can even keep it in a similar investment or the same mix from your investment standpoint. But you have an opportunity to take out that money without tax. And it's a, it's a, it's a great way of using the tax code to your advantage. It's such a simple, it's such a simple technique. Um, but yet, uh, people miss it because I find people, they don't want to pay for a CPA. They want to go down to like the, you know, the, the, the storefront tax preparer because they they think they're going to save money. But sometimes when you hire a, a professional CPA who's seen, you know, over 30 years of experience, multiple things going on with people's finances, they, they usually, uh, re- there's usually a return on that investment that you're paying them in terms of tax savings down the road. So Eric, as you're, as Doug was talking, I was thinking about our practices. I know that all three of us, Xavier, Eric and I, we had an initiative to really reach out to younger clients graduating college to get them on the right track. And a few of the clients I'm working with, you know, you may not be making a lot of money your first job out of college. And there's something called it. And they all live at home. (laughs) You know, you graduate college, you're making $30,000 a year and you're living at home to save some money. And we took advantage of IRA contributions this year because there's something called a saver's credit. You might get back 50, depending on how much money you make, it it gets phased out, but you might put away $6,000 and get 3,000 back on a credit on your tax return because you're saving. That's big when you're making $30,000 a year. Yeah, it goes by saving. As long as you have that money to to put it in there, it's great. Yeah. I've had anything we did incentivize uh, conversation is a good thing with with several uh, with several clients and and their children over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, save, you know, you're you're getting your first job. You're working at home, or you're working, um, you're living at home. You know, go ahead and put that money into those accounts. Begin to save and and get those credits. So I, I think that is a great tool to begin to use and and work with our uh, young individuals out there. Doug, my kids know that you make money. You put money for savings, mm-hmm. you give some to charity, and then you can spend some. Yep. That they've been, they've learned that at an early age and as they earn money, they know that. And here's another deal we have with them. If it can't be gifts, if they make money, and I don't mean from a job, I'm talking about like breaking leaves and stuff. If they deposit into a savings account, which can't be used to after college, I double it for them. When can I set up my account with you? Can I send my money? <laughs> can can you adopt me? Okay. <laughs> depend- so I'm holding up. I'm holding up a piggy bank here. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see it, and it says uh, "Donate, Invest, Save, Spend." So this particular one has two slots for spend and save. My kids have one at the house. Now this involves using cash, which we're kind of a cashless society. But you know, when my kids were younger, we try to make it a point that they actually had physical dollars and change to be able to physically see, save, spend, donate, just to kind of reinforce those ideas in their minds. So I like how you talk about that, that uh, so, Rich. Eric, two things. Um, first off, your piggy bank is empty. So we may want to talk about dollar cost averaging every month. <laughs> second second thing is um, what you may not know is hard, man. in our office, Six. when you first walk in, there, <laughs> there's a box. Um, we call it a Sadaka box in in the Jewish religion and it's charity box. And it has a little sign explaining what it is. And it's amazing. Every couple of months I can open that and there'll be at least a hundred dollars in there. People drop twenties, fives, ones change. That's cool. And then as our group in our office, we decide a local charity to donate that money to. That's a great idea. And all my children have those boxes in their room. 
That's a great idea. I thought you were gonna say you had a you had a jar in your um like a cuss jar in your office. Every time someone dropped a a cuss word, you got to put some money in it. Well, it wouldn't be funded by me, but my staff, I would be retired again. Yeah. <laughs> Between your hobbies and your staff cussing, you'd, you'd be you'd be like Warren Buffett. Um, w- one final question as we're, we're coming to a close here, and and we'll, we'll spend a little bit less time on this one. But Doug, what are some what are some items that maybe as we're talking to our clients, particularly as we're here preparing for taxes? What are some some ways that um, that have helped you in working with financial advisors in terms of maybe communication with clients, communication with you, and preparation for that engagement with with the CPA with you? Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, communication is always the key. And I have a, a quick little story. Back in March of 2020, when the market took that that, that big dip, um, a lot of institutions had sold out of certain positions and bought back others. So they may have sold Coca-Cola and they bought back Pepsi. So their plan doesn't get destroyed, but they, they get to take the loss. And I had one client who uh, was very wealthy and they had generated $700,000 of capital gain losses due to this, this dip. Because after March, the market came back. So not only were their portfolios up, and they were intact from a strategy standpoint. They also had $700,000 of, of possible gains to use. And I called up the advisor while I was doing the tax return. And I said, well, what, what is your plan with these losses? I would really like to see us utilize them somehow because they don't do us any good sitting on the tax turn, uh, only be allowed to take $3,000 a year because if you don't have gains to offset them, the IRS only allows you to carry um, 3000 to your current tax return and the balance forward. And the advisor had told me, well, they're worth, they're worth money because of the tax rate. And I said, well, they're really only worth money if you utilize them. If the client passes away tomorrow, they're worth nothing. So there should be a plan in place um, to, to do something with these losses. And I always preach balance. There has to be balance. There has to be a plan. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. There has to be a, a, a method to your madness, a reasoning for why we're doing these these things. You know, I'm listening to Doug, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, wow, you know, Xavier, Eric, we do something right when we manage money, and maybe for a future podcast, that's something we should be talking about, about tax efficiency mm-hmm. and tax strategies on what type of investments you have. What he just described was most likely – stock ownership, actually owning the equities compared to a mutual fund. I mean, this is something in the future we should probably talk about. That's my note, actually, something I, I wanted to signpost here with Doug said. And I think, again, to, I, I want to say this is why it's so important. If if your CPA and financial advisor do not have a relationship, it's a problem. The, what Doug mentioned was a wash sale. He said they sold Coca-Cola and bought Pepsi. If they would have sold Coca-Cola and then rebought Coca-Cola, then they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gotten that that they would have been able to take that loss. So, I mean, that that's, that's, I don't think Doug said, I don't think Doug said there was a wash rule. I think they'd sold Coca-Cola and they bought Pepsi. Well, okay. Correct. But right. po- point. Correct. Yeah, so they, the didn't, they didn't do the wash. Right. So the then portfolio the, stayed intact. No, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That, like that, right. that, that's important stuff. That's high level. That's high level tax efficient investment management. That's good stuff right there. That's good stuff right there. But. Right. What Eric was saying before I cut him off is you can't sell something for a loss and buy it back within 30 days. You have to wait 31 days. Otherwise, the loss isn't allowed. But yeah, that's that's. Nor huge. can you protect the loss with options. And, and that's why we collaborate. To be aware of. 
Rich, any any final thoughts in terms of like that collaboration and, and what maybe as someone who's been on both sides of the business as a as a tax preparer as well as a financial planner, maybe let's take one or two quick things that you could tell us. Well, I'll share I'll share a story with a client. I had a client, um, single lady. She had a full time job and she was coaching a sport for a high school and she had rental properties. And every year I didn't do her investments every year I was doing her tax return and we were able to project the estimates because she had rental losses every year and she would take the loss. Well, that year, her investment advisor took a lot of capital gains. The mutual funds paid a lot of capital gains. And Doug, you can explain what happens when you make too much and you get phased out with rental losses. Well, there's a there's a magic number of 150, $150,000. And if you trigger that number as a married filing jointly couple, you can no longer take your passive losses on rental properties. They are carried forward until your income dips below the limit or you sell the asset. And uh, for those who have rental properties thinking they can offset uh, ordinary income or hmm. capital income, investment income, with these passive losses, you're going to be in for a rude awakening when you have your taxes done. Yep. So this lady, she not only had to um, pay the tax on the capital gains, she had to pay more tax because our estimates were projected lower. We didn't know about this. And she learned what it's like to call the 1-800, whatever, 1040 number for the IRS and set up a loan payment <laughs> to pay that tax liability. Yeah, it's amazing. On the so that wasn't something you know, that wasn't good news. And that was something that really taught me during tax preparation that working with your investment. And, th and that's what I said to her. I go, in the future, if she's going to take capital gains. She needs to let me know. And we talked and it was a learning lesson, probably not just for the client, but for that investment advisor too. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think. Go ahead, Rich. You know, most investment of people, people don't realize most people managing investments are not financial planners. There's financial planners and then there's investment advisors. Mm -hmm. Some financial planners are also investment advisors, but sometimes you just hire someone to manage your money. Yeah. They're not there to give you strategies on distribution or tax efficiency and things like that. Yeah, they're not. So you got to be careful on your, what you hire, you know, who you hired and what they're capable of doing. Yeah. Doug, there's a lot of magic numbers that y'all need to remember. Do you, I mean, do you, do you have like just charts and is your office just full of charts and tables with Especially post COVID, my goodness, all the numbers they, they keep man, it makes me dizzy. I, I can't remember them all. I have to look them up on occasion because there's just so many to, to try and memorize. There's you know, there's those hundred items that are come about every day that are just uh, burned into your brain, but yeah, you can't you can't remember everything. And I, and I think that's key. I think that's why it's key that doing doing finances with a team especially if you have high income, especially if you have high net worth. If you don't have a team, then you're probably missing out on some money, some credit, some investment efficiency somewhere along the way. All right. So I think we're coming, I would, I think we're coming to an end here. What, what, we, what we like to do on, on, our, on our show, guys, is just kind of give a, a quick kind of closing thought. Just leave us with, with maybe like a summary, something that was said on the call that was impactful or just a closing thought. So Rich, we're going to, we're going to, let's start with Doug. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to piggyback on something that Richard had said, and that is um, a lot of times when you hire someone to prepare your taxes, that's all you're having them do. 
And that is they, they gather the information, they fill out the forms, you're getting a refund or you owe a balance due, and, and there you go. But, but I like to look at it from a different perspective. And I, I use the old adage that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. So uh, I'm a huge advocate and passionate about planning in the standpoint that, yes, I have to fill out the taxes and, and tell you what the results are. But if, if whatever the results are, I want to explain to you how the results came to be. And I want to know what's going to happen in the next 12 months and, and the future after that. Because if there are things that we need to do to mitigate a tax situation or structure something in a certain way that's more favorable, uh, we want to do that now than a year from now when we're looking back in the past. That's good stuff. Rich, what about you? So I'm going to go in a different direction. I think when you become a financial advisor, you become engaged personally with your clients. You know, you want to see them successful. You want to see them meet their goals and you want to see them do it the right way without making a lot of mistakes. So what I'm going to say is anyone who's listening to this podcast, reach out to Eric, Xavier. I'm sure they're going to give you a complimentary call. Give them some information about yourself. Let them see if they can help you with tax projections, collaborating with your investment, or your accountant, I'm sorry, or maybe just a second opinion. Maybe you have an investment advisor and you want a second opinion. It can't hurt. I know they have the same feelings on helping people. I mean, not only do they help clients, they help their community with education, charitable work. Reach out to them. If you're local in New Jersey, sorry, guys, reach out to me. Um, Doug and I would be more than happy to look at your tax return, analyze it. We'd be more than happy to look at your investments to see the tax efficiency on it or how the performance doing, the risk. It can't hurt. Take that first step. Take some responsibility. Even if you think you're happy with what you have, get a free second opinion. It's your retirement we're talking about. Unless you want to go to go to McDonald's in the morning and look at the seniors working there. Trust me, they didn't plan for that. They didn't say, gee, I want to live paycheck by paycheck, so I'm motivated to go to work and keep my mouth shut and not yell at my boss. They're there because they didn't plan properly. They didn't have that opportunity, or maybe they had unexpected expenses with their kids. Let's try to, I know me, I want to help people to meet their goals. It's rewarding. It's not a, you know, in this business, it's not always about what we make. It's about seeing the results. It's being invited to the client's daughter's wedding because we remember when they were a little kid and we helped them save for college and then going, I hate to say, I mean, I've been pallbearers for clients. It's, you know, you become emotionally attached to their families. So reach out to these guys. They're just like me. If you're local to New Jersey, call me or Pennsylvania, call me. Love to talk to you. No obligation. Yeah, we're, maybe we're not just like you. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, you have as much hair as me. Xavier has more hair. Yeah, I, I have more hair than both of you guys. Um, I'm going to leave um, uh, you guys with a comment as well. Um, Eric, hold that bank up for me again. That bank? My little bank? My your, empty your, bank? Your you going to make your fun of me for not having any money? Bank of me. No, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I love this idea. And, and I think this is a piece that I would love to see people begin to implement into their lives. You know, as you're raising your children, get them into the habit of saving money and, and knowing where they're saving their money and what the compound interest, what will that money do for them over time? For those who are just out of college and, and begin working, 
you know, reach out to a financial planner. Begin creating a strategy, a plan for yourself. That is the most powerful thing that you can do at an early age. Yeah, good good stuff here. So I want to I want to signpost a couple things here that Doug said. Number one, multiple buckets for investments. I love that idea, Doug. I talk about that all the time. I talk short term, mid term, and long term accounts, and those are all different. Those are all different buckets to hold money from savings to to long term investments, and then. I love what you said. It's always a good idea to save. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, the amount of money you have in the future is going to be determined. The, the, the biggest determining factor of how much money you have in the future. Yeah, taxes are important. Yeah, investment returns important, but it's your savings rate. How much you save will, will be the biggest factor in how much you have in the future. So y'all, thanks for listening. Uh, I, I want to thank Doug and Rich for joining us again. Rich has his own podcast, Financial Matter, Matters with Rich uh, Richard Oring. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. So give him a follow. Yeah. So if you want to... if you, we'll, we'll put Doug's information, Rich's information, our information in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to any of us. If you like what you hear here, if you like what you're hearing here on the Stuff About Money show, please give us a follow on wherever you listen to your podcast. Y'all, thanks for listening. Thank you. This was fun, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank Great. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.